You're listening to Trek FM. Passion unlocks Captain Picard's hidden emotions. Didn't we agree not to let our relationship get in the way of our work? But fate forces him to choose between romance and duty. I'm so sorry. Don't, don't, don't say you're sorry. Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name is Sue, and thanks for tuning in. Here this week are Jara. Hello. Andy. Hiya. And Grace. What up, Internet? <laughs> and uh, this week, the crew has decided to put my patience to the test as they force the lifetime Picard crusher shipper to lead the episode about Captain Picard's love interests. <laughs> Patience works on multiple levels with that, then, doesn't it? <laughs> but before we get there, we want to, as always, remind you about our Women at Warp Patreon. The Patreon is what allows us to do things like uh, have our separate website from the Trek FM network. It allows us to upgrade equipment or travel to conventions, to um, engage more in the community and have materials printed up when we are at those conventions. So... It's a great help to us, and we really appreciate uh, the support. If you'd like to support the Women at Warp podcast, you can do so over at patreon.com slash women at warp. And we also have a listener mail that came in. So uh, this listener mail came on our last episode on Amok Time, and it's from Rebecca through our Women at Warp website. And she comments, to expand upon the ickiness with Nurse Chapel and particularly McCoy, that scene always leaves me so sick. Not only is he teasing her, but he's basically sexually harassing her as her boss in the work environment. He gives her grief for her affections, and when he encourages her to bring him the soup, he may as well have slapped her on the ass and said, go get him, barf. Go have a Georgia mint julep, McCoy, if such a thing even exists. One thing I always wondered, which isn't addressed in a mock time, but maybe is in Spock's world, do Vulcan men have any right or recourse to divorce their wives? The marriages are arranged and neither the boy or girl have any say in who they are bonded to, but we see there is some path of recourse for the women. Or do we just assume that the men would never choose otherwise because their ponfar brains can't turn down the women they're bonded to? I always interpreted that while men are dominant on Vulcan and women are property, women seem to have possibly more choice in the matter. Interesting contradictions. Also, most of Vulcan's problems seem to revolve around a puritanical view of sex. Or could this be a reflection of the writers? The equation of sex and violence also comes in the enemy within when Kirk's violent primitive side, in quotes, is also the sexual side. So thanks for that comment, uh, Rebecca. In case uh, you didn't listen to the last episode, you should go do that. But she's referring to the scene um, at the beginning where um, McCoy is like teasing Chapel for continually trying to impress Spock, even though Spock has no feelings for her. And yeah, it's pretty Dick gross. Move, McCoy. Yeah. And we're definitely going to talk more about Vulcan women and Vulcan culture and those contradictions in a future episode. So stay tuned. I'm still curious about uh, Vulcan divorce ceremonies now. As long as they keep having the bells. <laughs> the bells are the constant. I mean, honestly, what is Vulcan culture without the bells? I wonder if their divorce ceremony is like the bells and then the gong and then you fight your ex to the death and whoever wins, wins all the property. That's what their uh, prenup trials are like. I'm just thinking <laughs> in comparison to like the Klingon divorce ceremony, what would the Vulcan equivalent of that be? <laughs> I wonder if the bells sound better to Vulcan ears, if it's like how... Maybe, like, they can hear sense, different frequencies. It? Yeah. Yeah. And they actually just sound amazing. Well, and they look awesome. That would be a point where they would be able to literally say, oh, it's it's lost on humans. It really is. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> as we hear over and over again, Captain Jean-Luc Picard is a very private man who, in his own words, is not given to casual relationships. However, there were several women who caught his eye during the run of TNG, and I've decided I think it's the best to go through them uh, chronologically from the viewer's perspective, but saving the best for last. So <laughs> let's start in season one with uh, We'll Always Have Paris and Janice Mannheim. I posted a review of this on Trekkie Feminist today, and one of my followers commented, what is he so attracted to her? Her overwhelming blandness? <laughs> Like, she has literally zero personality. It's kind of an unfortunate episode, I think. Eh, maybe younger Picard thought found that a turn-on. Who knows? <laughs> I, I get the feeling that she was less a character and more, like, a theme a that they were exploring or for a Picard. MacGuffin. Yeah. 
So, like... Don't you love it when women aren't characters, but they're symbols? Yeah, like, they're supposed to... Something new and different. <laughs> like, she was supposed to show Picard, like, Picard and why he was, I don't know, devoted to the Enterprise and that he was choosing the Enterprise over everything else, I guess? That's what I got out of it. Yeah, and they even say it right there in the dialogue, that it's not her in the present time, but the thing that's attracting him is his memory of her and his memory of their relationship. It's just really unfortunate because um, basically we see this woman who's supposed to really have captured his memory and all that she seems to be is like basically bland and compliant. Like she basically admits that she's been put in a kind of scary situation with her obsessive scientist husband on this planet where he's like keeping her in a protective room where he does when he does experiments and not telling her what he's really doing and at the end she just goes back to it with like barely more than the weakest of protests and she never shows like any feelings really about other than like faint nostalgia for this time that she had with Picard. So are, are we to really gather then that, that Picard had a thing for doormats at one point or what? <laughs> it's yeah, I don't I'm not a fan of this episode. Also, like Paris never looked that bad. And I refuse to admit like, <laughs> <That's hilarious>. basically, <laughs> I refuse to admit that Paris will ever or to believe that Paris will look that tacky in the 24th century. We'll always have tacky 80s TV Paris. <laughs> but I mean, okay, so I guess like what we learn from this is that Picard was afraid of being tied down because he kind of excuses By a himself. Doormat? What is there to tie him with? Well, and like, seriously, uh, so he, he runs into this or hologram girl in the cafe too while he's processing his feelings. And she's in the same situation where she's being stood up. And clearly no one can like even send a text because they leave them sitting in this cafe all day. And then they're just like, I was scared and I'm a man, oh so I can't say that kind of thing. And the you, women you are just like... You done after like waiting for an hour, man. Yeah. Not allowed to have emotions. I know. And then the women are like, oh, that's Poor okay. Man. How yeah. sweet. It doesn't matter that I sat in the rain all day. Yeah. and Or like in Janice's case that she spent years after looking up at the sky and wondering what happened to him <laughs> oh my goodness uh... but he, picard is also aware that she married the scientist yeah and she seems to be totally cool with that and yet crusher is really upset about it um, or about picard even previously having had feelings for her and that i also feel like was just really badly serving crusher as a character. Well, also, you can't tell me you've never been in a relationship with someone and then met their ex or someone who you know they had romantic feelings for and have gone, really? <laughs> wow. And had that change your entire view of the person you're with. Yeah, I just think it's like, it's kind of sad that that's the only scene that Crusher gets is to, or like, you know, important scene for her character is to be like, I can't compete with a ghost from his past. And like, <laughs> he's not even really that. Jeez. Laying it on thick there, aren't you, Jane Eyre? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have more about this for for when we get to her, but it was definitely written more in the first season that there was supposed to be like some eventual love story between Picard mm -hmm. and Crusher. That is a real thing. There are are even like notes from the actors about it, mm -hmm. and then it just disappeared and never really happened and became something else. So a lot of the first season has, believe me, because I've watched them literally hundreds of times, has these, like, <laughs> little scenes that imply that there's going to be so much more or, like, random touches or glances that you're like, why is that even there? And then the writers <laughs> like, just kind of forgot. Right. And I'm not going to complain that they're there, but it's weird, especially considering in season three what a step back they take. So, yeah, to have this in, in season one and have... You know, your chief medical offer, officer, ooh, play this kind of, like, backseat jealousy role is really unfortunate. We mm -hmm. see that multiple times come up, though, don't we? Yep. <laughs> yeah, but it, not, not in this same way. And this one is also, like, forced out by Troy, so it's yet another yeah. example of, like, similar to Code of Honor, where Troy is, like, weaseling unpleasant 
and stereotyped truths out of her women crew members. Yes. <laughs> oh my god, Troy, just back off. Leave us alone. Yeah. Once you get past season one, whenever either of them, Picard or Crusher, has a different relationship, there's this like scene of jealousy. But from like season three forward, there's also like, I'm still going to support my friend, even though this makes me sad. Yeah. And here it's just like sulking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, I think that's it for, for Janice, right? Anything else? Oh, there's kind of a gross part where um, Paul Mannheim, her husband, asks Picard that if anything should happen to him, that Picard should take care of her. Oh, yeah, that's weird. I guess she's just such a doormat that she doesn't know how to function on her own. <laughs> yeah, she's a, a shiny, shiny silver doormat. Help her out. She she doesn't know how to even brush her teeth on her own. Seriously. she. <laughs> well, this is the, my, the next one on my list is Philippa Louvois. Not a doormat. Yay. Not a doormat at all. But another one who is like a past love, not somebody that is a current romantic interest, but somebody that there is a implied relationship with from the past. You know, I'm not sure I would have liked it if they implied it was going to go beyond that. But I think it's like they just flirted a little and it was kind of fun. Uh, I just thought that she was a cool character trying to balance her, you know, preconceived notions, but still trying to keep an open mind and um, not let her friendship with Picard overly influence the situation. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, my favorite thing about her is that she's a little bit sexually aggressive, and I dig that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, like if they hadn't ended up in this in the trial, who knows, but she's not going to compromise her professional judgment. I just like a woman who can admit what she wants without shame. Right. The interesting thing is apparently she did at one time for Picard um, compromise her professional judgment. I haven't read it, but apparently in the novel The Buried Age, it sort of explores that relationship. And uh, she was involved with Picard's court-martial after The Stargazer, if you've read some of the novels and know some of this history, and apparently used that relationship with him to gain additional information and sort of work basically her her position during that court-martial and that is mm. what led her to leaving part of starfleet and becoming this jag officer but it sounds like a really interesting backstory so that might be be one of the novels that i go and pick up yeah maybe sounds kind of sketchy but i wouldn't call her a jag <laughs> 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 um, yeah i mean uh reading the description i can say like i feel probably a little relieved that it's not canon but it's uh right. it sounds it sounds like an interesting read um i think she's an interesting character i think it helps that you know she she's not there to be a plot device for picard like to just teach us more about him she does but she's also has an old, has a role of her own so i think that that's part of what makes her strong Absolutely. She passes the Mako Mori test. She has stuff going on outside of the male character. So then we move on a little bit further to Captain's Holiday, which was an eventual result of a request from Patrick Stewart for Captain Picard to have more, quote, sex and shooting. Right, because those are both things that you instantly think of when you look at Captain <laughs> Picard. Right, right. That, when I Movie Picard, maybe, but not TV Picard. <laughs> But anyway, this is when we meet that lovable rogue, Vash, and our first, I guess, love interest during the series, who is, is somebody new. I love, Sue, that uh, one of your bullet points under her is, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> that sums it up pretty well, honestly. I like the idea of Vash um, in terms of, you know, she could have actually been a really cool kind of female Indiana Jones type character. Um but I just don't think it delivers. I don't really... Oh, hell no. So um, one of our Facebook commenters, Roy, said that um, he really appreciated Philippa Louvois and Neela Darren, who we're going to talk about later. Um, he said they're strong-minded, extremely confident, and know themselves. They compliment Picard rather nice nicely. Then there's Vash. I have always enjoyed the actress playing her in other things, so I suspect some of the problems I have with her stem from the writing. When we first meet her, she's focused on getting the Maltese Falcon, or I mean the Tox Utat. Uh, and then he uses some language that is maybe not podcast appropriate, but basically that at that point in Captain's Holiday, both Picard and Vash seem DTF are basically there. They're cool with limiting this to a casual encounter. 
But then she shows up in Cupid, and instead of a little no-strings fun, she acts as if she is hurt because he didn't tell the ship about her. Now, objectively, I chalk it up to poorly thought-out writing, but subjectively, taking Trek as a consistent reality, it looks like she's jacking with Picard because she knows she can. And I don't totally disagree with that. It's kind of ridiculous to, like, go into someone's workplace and be like, you mean you didn't tell everyone about our lost weekend? What am I to you? Yeah, and then, I mean, the whole thing, there are just so many times, like, especially in the Sherwood Forest, like, the Robin Hood stuff. I know I'm combining these two episodes. Sorry about that. But Uh, whatever. (laughs) I kind of see, I kind of see the problem as connected, where, like, in the first episode, she comes across as, like, clearly being a self-rescuing princess. Like, she has the ability to handle herself. Um, but in Cupid, her best thing she can come up with is telling Guy Guy of Gisborne, yeah, sure, I'll marry you. And then, like, I'll just think about this for a really long time. Like, she never seems to have any capability to even, like, tie sheets together and bail out a window or and yet grab someone's sword. Or, the exact same level of smugness. Yeah, or hit someone over the head with a pot, for God's sakes. Okay, there's, <laughs> there's, there's my rant. I think it's interesting that I feel like her character changes between the two episodes because in the first one if you believe what she says she's been working on finding the Toxutot for five years and after the the lead researcher dies yes she stole the information or the map or whatever but it's still something that she worked on for five years so she feels this entitlement whether that's right or wrong to have the ability to find it and by the time we see her again in Cupid she's sort of become like this roguish kind of villain character. Am I the only one who sees that? No, it's not just you. She goes from a woman on a mission to just a woman who's out to get what she wants. Sort of, but like not even that effectively or without need of help. So I don't know. I just feel like the execution could have been a lot cooler. Like I... I don't think that they needed this whole discussion of their feelings in Cupid. If it had just stayed like kind of casual and she had been more badass, then occasionally she might have been able to show up again and be interesting, but it just kind Mm -hmm. of fell flat and she was- These are the minor tweaks we require. That's all. (laughs) Yeah, but I don't think it's Jennifer Hetrick. Like, I don't think she did a bad job. It's just, why does your character do this? Yeah, but I I do really want to quickly contrast the crusher that we see in Will Always Have Paris with the crusher we see in Cupid, because that is how this relationship changed when she when uh, she comes in and finds, oh well, arrives at the captain's quarters for breakfast to find Vosh there, and is not upset but is a little surprised and decides to have a little fun with Picard by you know offering to give Vosh a tour of the ship. And he is clearly uncomfortable, and it is one of my favorite scenes of Star Trek of all time. Hmm. I don't really love it. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say, I just don't like this episode, and I feel like it's... Oh, that's the only part I like. <laughs> yeah, but I, I feel like, on, and I know this is going to maybe ruffle feathers, but I feel like Crusher in the scene is being catty. <laughs> And yeah. like to like because she's not just making him uncomfortable; she's making Vash uncomfortable. Like, oh well, oh he's told you all about me, but like, funny he's never mentioned you, kind of thing. So like, she knows she's pushing her buttons, mm. and I get, you know, it's like it's it's an unexpected situation, so I can kind of excuse it. But I just I don't like seeing my favorite characters being kind of nasty to like. I think they're doing it to each other, her and Vash, and it's like yeah, ew. I get it. I still like it, though. (laughs) (laughs) You like it because of what it represents. Yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't know if they were intending to sort of make Picard more like Indiana Jones or if that's just what I got from from it of their, like, of Captain's Holiday. Yeah, that that really is what it felt like they were going for, and it feels really out of place. And it just doesn't, I mean, don't emulate incredibly successful works of art Unless you can, like, do something new and interesting with it, or it makes your thing new and interesting, and I don't think it really did, and I think that is the same with We'll Always Have Paris, which obviously is emulating Casablanca and is a direct allusion to Casablanca, and like Casablanca, Janice leaves with husband equivalent of Victor Laszlo, even though she's maybe kind of not super happy about it, because, like, the great man's work must go on. 
And it just felt like, why would you watch this when you could watch Casablanca? <laughs> also, every time we get one of these episodes where um, they try to make Picard cool, like have him go on an adventure or find a hot lady or something, it always just highlights what a crotchety old man he is. And just can drive that point further home of, yeah, I'm just going to sit here and decide with my book. Oh, no, I'm going on adventure. Well, you know what struck me? Watching all of these back-to-back, like all of the, the love interest stories back-to-back the other day, was how frequently one of these women compliments him, and then his immediate response is, oh, no, I'm just an amateur. Yeah. Like, that happens all the time. <laughs> I guess that turns him on, being complimented and then getting to be modest about it. Just the whole stop thing. Yeah, right? Stop. It's not something you expect from, from Jean-Luc Picard, right? <laughs> it's really funny. Grace, I can't believe you called him a crotchety old man while he's wearing a silver Speedo. <laughs> he is the only character that I think could make me think crotchety old man while wearing a Speedo. Which, by the way, is a highlight <laughs> of my life. And that says something. I may have said this before, but I think it is a tragedy that i will feel for the rest of my life that i've never they have never made a picard in speedo from captain's holiday action figure (laughs) i would buy it i would buy it so fast i i would spend i would spend so much money on it like buckets of right up there with angel one riker put angel angel one riker and picard in the silver speedo in like the same set you can't (laughs) tell me that wouldn't sell that would sell a I'm lot. I'm a little bit surprised that Patrick Stewart was okay with it. <laughs> I was certainly okay with it. Patrick Stewart is delicious. You're not wrong. Okay, You're not wrong. But he's still a crotchety old man. <laughs> I prefer, like, the onesie pajama outfit with the uh, sort of fold-over shirt and shorts. No, my favorite is when he wears, like, the silk robe and is drinking wine and doing nude painting. <laughs> that is that is peak hot Picard to me. But then Data comes in and tells him his art is bad. It's great. This is one of my favorite scenes of all time. Like, Data, there was a moment here and you murdered it. You murdered that moment. I mean, he was looking oh, so goodness. suave. He was making his really crappy Picasso light nude painting and then data looks at There's it and goes killing a moment and then there is murdering it dead and that's what data did <laughs> he also only has one shirt that he wears on dates <laughs> it's that like deep v beige one that has the all the pleating on one v, side yeah. that's in every episode makes <laughs> <laughs> you wonder does he own any real clothing outside of his uniform <laughs> does he really need it uh well we know he owns that one shirt <laughs> and the silver speedo <laughs> Speaking of uh, episode ideas that are neither new nor interesting, let's talk about the weird TOS episode that somehow wound up in the fifth season of TNG, The Perfect Mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think we can all join you on the, uh, for this one, Sue. <laughs> and that's always how I hear it described as, really? This is fifth season of TNG? This feels like early TOS. It's really uncomfortable. It's basically a land of choice with better production values. I always think that it's like first or second season. Always. And then I'm always surprised that it's the end of the fifth season. It's just one of those episodes where watching it, you're just like, really? Really? It's problematic from basically every direction. Oh, yeah. Oh, dear. But here we have Kamala, who, who likes herself when she's with Picard. Ugh. Uh, so she she's like an empathic me- mesomorph who imprints on or she is imprinted by men or something. But basically, she's property who's being transported to seal a peace treaty. And her big selling point is that she can read what men want and turn into that. And then once she bonds to one of them, she's like stuck. And so she bonds to Picard, which, you know, can't not fault her for uh but uh man this episode is so problematic so both patrick stewart and Fumke jansen's performances i think are really good um and then because crusher reams him out for figuring that somehow she's consenting when she clearly isn't um mm-hmm. that is like the only thing that saves this episode from we'll never watch it again because it paints me so heavily they had good chemistry also the outfits <laughs> 
That's about the only There's good thing I can say. There's some delightfully hideous outfits in that episode, I gotta say. Yeah. The whole yeah. thing is just uncomfortable. Oh, the absolute, oh my gosh, there's so many w- points in this that are so cringeworthy, including like when they call her cargo, and then uh, Riker's refusal of her, which isn't like, I'm not going to take advantage of you, who's oh, been like, instead he says, I make it a policy never to open another man's gift. Ew. Can, uh, Riker, no. Bad can somebody please Riker. punch him in the face right now? Yeah, like, why please. do even your refusals sound like bad pickup lines? One of the things I love about this episode is that we get, early on, this whole scene with Crusher being like, oh my gosh, this is totally messed up. But then we get uh, Picard being the writer standing going, oh no, it's okay, because it's a cultural thing. This is how their culture works. And you get to watch the rest of the episode just being like, no, it's still not okay. Yeah, like, Crusher makes a fairly compelling argument, and then he's basically like, oh, but the Prime Directive, because it totally benefits me. What the hell? What the hell? But the Prime Directive, the Directive of Non-Interference, is in pre-warp cultures, no? I believe so. Like, I know there's debate on that, but also I don't see any way that the Prime Directive can compel a Federation ship to perform this marriage. You know, delivering someone into an arranged marriage seems beyond beyond non-interference. Like, you clearly are interfering. You are interfering to deliver this woman into an arranged marriage that she does not want to be in. Non-interference would be like, do whatever you want, guys, but we're staying out of it. From the very beginning, one of them, I'm not, I don't remember, but I think it's Riker, says, you know, no Federation ship will transport people as cargo. Mm-hmm. And basically the response is, oh, but she's agreed to this. And then everybody's like, she oh, likes well, being okay. in that box. She's in the Never boxes. Mind. Yeah, I mean, like, Picard tries to sort of, you know, make sure she's really consenting. And it's, like, enough that she says... Um, well, that's what gives a metamorph pleasure. My needs are fulfilled by what I give to others, and I'm incomplete by myself. And even if that was like, even if you could accept that this was that true, like brainwashing right there. Exactly. Like yeah. it, it really does. Um, but even if you could accept that it wasn't, that like someone was born that way and was not remotely influenced by their culture to feel that way. Um, it's like super disturbing because that's actually what women are told in real life, that it's normal and desirable to feel incomplete without a man mm-hmm. and that like it fuels all of these self-help authors who argue that like women need to lower their standards and just get married because even at its worst, it's supposed to be worse than unending spinsterhood with your cats and Star Trek on Netflix. Which That I- sounds pretty great to me. Thank you very much. I prefer that to that hideous wedding dress she wears. (laughs) Oh my god. The only good scene in this episode, other than Crusher um, lecturing Picard, is, like, in a good way, I don't mean to imply negatively, it's a good scene, is when Data tells off the guys that are harassing Kamala for Mm -hmm. how they need to respect her. It's true. I do like getting to see Data just be like, "Mm, no, that's rude. Go away. But then I was really bothered by her, like... Oh, now I'll be one of the guys, because that's what these guys are like, <laughs> I change. Know. I just, yeah. ugh. Well, I gotta ask, um, as girls, uh, especially when I was in college, I did every now and then meet a girl who would just kind of bend over backwards to be what the particular guy of the week was interested in. And it was, this was just such a creepy reminder of how many girls I have known with self-esteem low enough to feel like they have to adjust themselves to Mm -hmm. fit a love interest and it just ugh, that reminded me of that so much just walking into a bar and having her be like oh now i'm this person Mm -hmm, totally and i mean okay so going back to for a minute like what we learned from picard about picard from this episode um so you know i i think it's her that defines what she's become in order to please him and she says that she is now independent forceful brilliant and adventurous and but describing like, herself as brilliant isn't any kind of red flag. Well, but also, how can you define yourself as independent when you're being independent to please someone else? Right? Yep. 
Also, you know who is all of those things? The doctor. Uh, yes. So I would say, the <laughs> you know, if I'm trying to look for another positive thing to say, it's good that Picard is interested in a woman who displays those traits. Kamala, not it. And also clearly not able to consent to any of this. The one thing I kept imagining through the entire episode is they're talking about what a hot commodity female mesomorphs are. And how they're just like this great boon and they come once every 7th century and, oh god, imagine if one of those came along and they were asexual. <laughs> they just like walk into a room full of men and they're like, oh, well, and like, hey, what's up? No, no, no worries. Everyone's straight here. in the future. <laughs> it's true. Good it to is know. true. It is possible for people to derive pleasure from submission and from pleasing a partner. The thing that I really upsets me though is that it's clear that this is something that she's been groomed for since childhood yeah mm-hmm. definitely so that's that's my biggest sticking point like i i can i can understand wanting to be in a relationship where y- you have a dominant partner i can understand all that what i don't like is that it doesn't seem like she ever really has a choice to choose that or not because they're teaching her from her youth um, that this is what she's supposed to want. And the term for that is grooming, and it's used to describe how pedophiles, you know, train their victims. So that's my big squick with this one. Or even just internalized oppression, like that your culture uh-huh. gives you messages throughout your life that legitimate you, the result in you legitimating your own subservient position. The other um awful part in this episode is like at the very end it doesn't even seem like her like Ulrich of Vault even really cares that she's part of the deal he's just like oh whatever it's all about the trade for me anyway he's pretty much marrying the sleepy prince from Spaceballs yeah and like Picard still doesn't try and get her out of it it's just blah anyway okay don't let the door hit you where the lord's okay (laughs) yeah yeah I'm sure he feels more sad when he can move on and she can't for her entire life with this guy who looks vaguely like a weasel or a miscast <laughs> person who was originally supposed to be an extra in uh, Up the Long Ladder. <laughs> oh, harsh, harsh. Oh, boy. Oh, God. I hope the guy who played that uh, that actor doesn't listen to our podcast. You're going to make him cry himself to sleep. Hope he does. Well, we can make fun of... There's a lot of other stuff we can make fun of in Let's this just episode. say Valentine's Day brings out the worst in me. <laughs> I can believe it. Also, <laughs> oh can we my. say for a second that her um, her handler guy, and this is something I only noticed getting to watch this episode on the big screen, um, <laughs> the weird-ass outfits in this episode. For one thing, if you look at him and you get to see him on a big screen, you can very clearly see the the Chinese motif in the embroidery on his hat. There, You can see tiny dragons. It's like... Oh, I didn't realize Chinese brocade was a big thing in space. Hmm. You just gave me another transition. The one I would like to purge from my brain. The one that, that bothers me the most. Here it comes. Is Nella Darren. Lessons from season six. I Tell us how you really feel, Sue. I can't. She's, she's the one, right? None of the others are a threat to my OTP. <laughs> she's the one that's the threat. Right? Ah. Uh. <laughs> She's in Starfleet. She understands what it is. She understands the duties and the pressures of a starship. And I just need her to go. Okay, so let's be clear then. And she has hair like a helmet. It's amazing. You don't hate her because (laughs) she's a bad character. You hate her because she's a good character? That's what I'm getting here. Yeah. You you hate her because she's the best character that they have brought forth that could actually make it with Picard. And that's why you hate her. Okay, I get it. (laughs) right right and it is hard to hate her right because in in any other context if she was not a love interest like she would be the kind of character that i'm like i like her i like her a lot but now that she's like in competition even though that shouldn't be a thing (laughs) with with the relationship that i want to happen in this show it's upsetting to me um so I I think that she's definitely the second most compelling after Crusher of Picard's love interests. Um I think that this episode 
really... I love that you're trying not to send me through the roof right now. We're all trying, okay? <laughs> um, but this episode is... I, I really like it, and I find it is the only relationship other than with Crusher that I can actually believe for Picard. But I also... Like a couple things I really like about it is one is I like that both like both her and Picard in this episode are super articulate about their feelings. Um, and I really, it's true. There are no I words really, missed. really appreciated that. Um, mm-hmm. it was like really a mature representation of what a relationship could and should look like. Um, where people are discussing like, you know, hey, so are we going to keep this from the ship or not? Well, I don't think we should. And is this an issue or is this just us doing our jobs? Like they're they're discussing all these things openly together, um, which I thought was really cool. Um, and I thought that uh, it was neat. You know, I thought that I could believe that their connection with each other um, and that at the end of the day, it was her who was like, well, clearly neither one of us are going to leave our commissions for each other and so you know therefore if this is a problem then i have to leave and i liked that um as compared to like vosh being like you are telling everyone about me what am i to you but she was just like really business-like about it like well you're saying i should leave my commission maybe you should leave your commission haha clearly not gonna happen Maybe it's not that we even like the character. Maybe it's just that we like the dynamic that they're given where they're both on equal footing as logical, rational adults. I get it. There is a lot of good in this episode, and I'm I'm very, very willing to admit that. But there's also a lot in this with this relationship. I realize they have to tell this story in one episode, but there's there's just some things that I don't believe. Like, it even doesn't if make it kind of schmaltzy of- if it's just like a big whirlwind romance in a single episode. Right. <laughs> But even if you're the head of a department, what lieutenant commander is going to show up at her captain's quarters with, like, a roll-up piano and be like, impromptu date, hi! And, like, Picard, the private man that we know him to be, or whatever, after, what, like, two days is going to tell her about his experience uh, with with the probe from the inner light and all about Cayman and this flute? Like, I don't, I don't buy that either one of those characters would open up that quickly to each other. The music thing is one of my favorite things about this episode, though, because we see the music as this catalyst for them to both kind of connect with each other. But we get the scene where they're just having a jam session in the Jeffrey's tube, and she's like, this is the place with the best acoustics on the ship. And he's like, really? You were just climbing through the Jeffrey's tubes looking for a good musical resonance? And she's like, not all of them. But you know she was just climbing through the tubes with, like, a tuning fork, just crawling, crawling, crawling. Ding! Ah! No, this won't do. <laughs> Ding! Ah! No. Ding! Ah! And how long must that have taken? That would have been, like, five days of climbing and dinging, at least. When did she have time to do her job? Or you could just, like, model the ship and do the math. I interpreted this as taking longer, like, that there were days in between we didn't see. Um, not just because of that, but because of um, the part where, like, now everyone on the ship knows they're in a relationship. So it's beyond, you know, the point where, like, Riker starts to come with him, to come to him with concerns. I felt like that would have been really unrealistic to also just happen in two days. So I felt like it was supposed to be that we were seeing it for longer, but they only were showing us snippets of it. But I don't know if that's ever explicitly stated. Yeah, that's kind of the gist that I was getting. But it also was part of what was making it less viable for me. It's just like, oh, so we're having an entire episode devoted just to this single relationship that okay, okay, that's what we're doing. How much time is passing here? Okay. Okay. The thing I like about this episode is that we actually have an episode in which a character goes back to one of their traumatic experiences and deals with it. Because usually what happens... That is pretty cool to see. Usually what happens is something bad happens, something terrible happens, and then the next episode they're A-okay and it's never discussed again. And Picard's one of the few characters that gets to do this because he also gets the episode where he wrestles in the mud with his brother. Um... So like uh-huh. there, are, I like that. I like that you know he went through Old this man mud wrestling. Yeah. Now if only the speedo had made an <laughs> appearance. Anyways, 
Right. I mean, like, it's really nice because that was traumatic for him. And I liked seeing him go through his feelings on that and heal, basically. Now, just imagine if we'd gotten to see some romantic consistency where previous relationships are brought up when talking about new ones. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I also like how she, um, you know, at the end, she, you know, she puts herself in danger because she knows that she's the best person for this job, but not in a way that's like bragging or anything. It's just like she has to remind Picard, like you trust Riker. He's always been a good first officer and he assigned me to this for a reason. And then she performs really admirably on this mission. Um, so I like how, you know, she ends things, but it doesn't, you know, she still gets to prove that she's an exemplary Starfleet officer as well as like a talented musician and <laughs> super smart scientist. <laughs> That's reasoning that I haven't always loved in this episode mm -hmm. because, you know, Picard cares about all of his crew. You yeah. know, his his senior staff has become his family. Mm -hmm. um, whether you want to put in the feelings he claims to have had in other episodes for Crusher or not, like, he sends all of these people on away missions all the time. So this, I'm not sure if I can put you in danger thing is another thing that I don't quite buy. It does feel a little weird for him to not grapple with that until the end of season six was like grappling with sending people into danger if that's going to really be an issue. It really took him that long to form an emotional attachment to anyone. Yeah, and his line that I've never had to send anyone into danger I've been in love with before, um, that's not true. Yeah, I gotta call BS on that one. That is not true. He sent himself into battle many times. <laughs> he got his best friend killed. Right? Who was Papa! married to the woman he was in love with for 30 years. Okay. <laughs> Although there is, okay, maybe I should wait until we're, we're on Crusher. There's also the part in, uh... What is the episode where he basically just tells Bev to, like, grow up because Wesley's going to die in the first episode? Your son's going to die. Grow the hell up. Um, it's the one where just she says, like, she woman. wishes he couldn't feel it. And he's like, he must face oh. death with his eyes open. Oh. <laughs> Your, like, 13-year-old son is going to have to take it like a man. I'm just saying it's that at times he has been great <laughs> at, like, the possibility of people dying. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> he was just born a cold, unfeeling old man without a hair on his head. And he did actually get more feeling as the show went on, so maybe that is the message. Because they realized he wasn't likable like that. He realized that it was almost impossible to sympathize with him if he's just super scary, calculating, just like, yeah, well, I guess that's gonna have to do. End of the day, you gotta face death with your eyes open. <laughs> I know you're 12 and all, but go get him, Tiger. <laughs> oh my. Well, I'm not even sure there is much to say about this next lady on my list, and that is Marta from Tapestry. She is the one that basically all we know about her is that uh, they were at the Academy together. We see her on these like flashbacks where Q is making uh, Picard relive this uh, incident with the Nausicans. And this is the, the woman who he always regretted not, I guess, pursuing. Quote, For the unquote. one that got away, he sure doesn't have a lot to actually say about her. Yeah, there we don't see a whole lot of her. Yeah. So there's that. Well, it's weird. It's like, okay, so, but, but as a cadet, he didn't pursue her because he didn't want to take that risk. But then in his, like, alternate life where he's not taking risks in terms of bar fights, he will take that risk. And then she's just like, ah, I just want to be friends, which should never be a just. It should always just be, like, awesome. But yes. anyway. That was in his, I just want a woman who's there years. <laughs> so I'll skip ahead a tiny bit just to get her out of the way. And Andy, cover your ears la, 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 la. To, qui to quickly talk about Anij from Insurrection. Oh, man. First bullet point oh, under in, in the outline is rage. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this movie is, I think, the worst use of great actors in maybe all of Star Trek. Um, definitely in the movie. I am so not going to argue with that at all. Both, like, Donna Murphy and F. Marie Abraham are amazing. And then you have, like, kind of crummy story about a fountain of youth and how hippies can stop time. Yeah, that's 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 really dumb. I don't know. It didn't. I didn't buy it. I didn't buy Picard and Anish. I don't have anything 
against Anish per se, except for she was just really, like, blah, and... She was there. Again, she was a woman and was there. It was just the effects of the Baku planet. Flowers. <sighs> Whatever. Yeah, and then, like, coupled with the fact that, like, Troy and Crusher are also, like, super misused in all of the movies, it just is annoying that you made... Well, their boobs are firmer, Yeah. <laughs> That's important. That's the sort of thing we talk about publicly and openly. <sighs> so true. Um, and so, yeah, I mostly would just say I dislike this is a pretty bad movie. Uh, I guess whether or not you think it's worse is to make she makes it worse is debatable, but <laughs> they need someone there who's sort of on their side and it's kind of questionable yeah. whether she's on her side on their side because she's attracted to Picard or whatever um, but that's really her role is then like following them around and getting Picard to discover himself <laughs> and it just feels like you know the stuff that they're learning in this movie it feels like it really reset a lot of stuff from the series like the same this is a big complaint about data in this movie too is um, he's learning all this stuff that he spent seven plus years learning already. And same mm-hmm. with Picard, like, there's no reason for him to have to go through this character arc again. Yeah. But not and Donna Murphy's fault. Which what? brings us to bullet point number two, if I may. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that is my theory that Donna Murphy, who is an excellent actress and is criminally misused in this movie, is actually just a younger less experienced version of her character entangled in the sense that this whole thing is a big plot that she's masterminding to manipulate into getting eternal youth. And I gotta say, (laughs) if you go into the movie thinking that, it makes it a lot more watchable. I also just want to see a version of Passions with Star Trek characters, and I'm not talking Passions, the failed NBC daytime soap opera with witches, but Passions, <laughs> the Stephen Sondheim musical. Anyway. I could see that. Yeah. I'm just saying with the, with the Tangled thing, just look at her interacting with that little toe-headed kid and tell me she would not sell that kid out for eternal youth. <laughs> <laughs> the really frustrating thing to me with Anish, right, is what I know about <laughs> the end of Attached. And that is that the end of Attached, which is, is the, in case you're unaware, I'll, we'll talk about it more in a little bit, was uh, the one where Picard and Crusher are connected by the little implants psychically on Kespret. Um, the end of that episode was changed in order to make Picard available for romantic subplots in the movies. And this is really the only romantic subplot in the movies. That's bogus. Not okay. Yeah, plus that comment uh, about, like, he saved up 318 days of shore leave or whatever, like... No yeah, one he would promised spend... that to Nella Darren too, okay? Yeah. It's not gonna happen. <laughs> and also, like, no one would spend that long on that planet unless it was purely for, like, rejuvenation therapy. Because it Whatever. is a freaking boring place. <laughs> so I have a couple more in this others category that don't really Q. fit Q. in. But Q. So, Q. yes, Q is one Q. of Q. them. <laughs> so I'll just quick, quickly state that when we were coming up with the outline for this episode, we talked about eliminating some people who were not mutual attractions. Like we could totally do and we will hopefully do an entire episode on Loxana Troy. Yeah. Um, but we would take up just way too much time if we had women who were interested in Picard, but were not, but he was not interested in return. And Q. And Q. Let's all just take a minute to cackle about that. <laughs> I mean, we learn more about Q's interest in Picard and Tapestry than we do about Marta's interest in Picard. Yeah, that's true. It's true. I'm sorry, but at one point, Q shows up by dropping out of the sky naked and landing at Picard's feet. Another time in his me. bed. Yes, exactly. The amount of times that <laughs> Q introduces himself to say, hey, Picard, here I am, it, and he's naked. Is a significant amount of times. <laughs> Not to mention Enough the to flirty looks. I could make a YouTube video of all the flirty looks and set it to Dreamweaver <laughs> and get a million views. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure that something like that probably exists. Can we put already. that on the Patreon? <laughs> Can we like make that special content? I will do it. <laughs> make some money it off will of be this. so easy because Q looks at Picard like OTP. Like, love forever, 
hearts in his eyes. He looks like the heart eye emoticon. That's what he looks like when he looks like he looks at Picard. I love it. And then I finally finally saw DS9, the the awesome, well, the episode's not so awesome, but the awesome moment where Q's like, Picard never hit me. <laughs> you can't tell me that's not Q being like, I wish Picard was here. Picard's nice to me. You get that a lot in Voyager, too. Just it's because of- John Delancey is amazing, okay? Yeah. And yeah. him and Patrick Stewart have more chemistry together than basically anyone. It's true. That's why I said... Basically. <laughs> Are you calling Gates McFadden basic? No, definitely not. You. <laughs> Sorry that I dropped out there for a second, but I just found that there is a Picard Q video called Love the Way You Lie, or To Love the Way You Lie by Eminem and Rihanna. <laughs> Oh my god, can we put that on the Facebook page? I'm sorry, but Dreamweaver is going to be so much better. When I make my video, it's going to blow that video out of the water. (laughs) Okay, okay. (laughs) The rest of this other's list, other than Waxana and Q, are Minuet, who was really more of a Riker thing, um, the Borg Queen, Tasha Yar, who weirdly hits on Picard in Code of Honor, and it's kind of strange and uncomfortable. Um, Guinan? Maybe, kind of? Yeah, yeah. Maybe? Um, Aline, who was Cayman's wife in The Inner Light. And here is a random one. A.F., which are the initials that Picard carved into Boothby's tree back on Starfleet Academy, and that is how he met Boothby the groundskeeper. Well, we never did learn Boothby's first and second name, did we? (laughs) (laughs) It was all a ploy to get to hang out with Boothby. It was actually Anne Frank. It was just on his reading list that week. Oh my goodness. <laughs> all right. We got through it all. We're going to ease my stress and we're going to talk even more about Beverly Crusher. Well, cl- clearly, the fact that she doesn't play an instrument is a serious, serious but issue. But she does tap dance. She can tap dance, but that's like playing an instrument. With your feet. Because of its rhythmic She's quality. a percussionist with her feet. So does she tap dance to Picard's flute playing? Oh my god. Maybe. I could find you that fanfic, probably. (laughs) (laughs) So I have a couple um, quotes I looked up because I'm me. And (laughs) this is from a uh, letter from Patrick Stewart in 1988, halfway through season two, that he wrote to Gene Roddenberry after they had lunch together to talk about some stuff. And what he wrote is, I know there's a school of thought that a Picard-Crusher relationship never existed, but I'm a little puzzled by this, as I spent hours in front of the camera last season, assuming and acting that it did. Certainly my mailbag confirms this. And then in an interview with StarTrek.com, Gates McFadden said, The way that Gene Roddenberry had told me the part was, the reason I took the job was because it was a woman who had a very powerful position, was a commander, was a mother, was a good parent, was a leader, and was somebody who cared about helping people. She had great humanity. She was that kind of a doctor, and it was very important to me that she was that kind of a doctor. She was the love interest of Picard, so she was a woman who also had sexuality. And I feel that got lost. That got lost when I came back. So the actors were certainly playing this relationship. And you can see that, definitely. 100%. But I also really like that there is the time where they have this clearly, like, super deep friendship with each other that then, like, grows into or should have grown into something more. Um, I like... Episodes like Remember Me where, you know, he just really, really trusts her. And, you know, of course, whether or not they loved each other, um, I think that later, when it's more obvious that they do and more stated in canon, um, it benefits from the time that they were, like, really close um, confidants and, you know, briefing each other on what's going on on the ship over tea and that kind of thing. I really do appreciate the fact that if you disregard the idea of a, re- a romantic relationship, I'm sorry, Sue, but if you even if you disregard that, you see a respectful and caring platonic relationship between the two of them that you really have to admire. Yeah. But I mean, even if they, if you want to believe they don't love each other in a romantic way, they certainly do love each other as friends. They have been friends for a really long time and they're very close. And it is one of the things that I love about their relationship is that they will also call each other on their crap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we see it over and over again. 
you know, she'll go to him and yell at him about what he's doing. They'll fight about the prime directive. He'll get upset that she made a decision, like, to autopsy an alien mm-hmm. or whatever. <laughs> but they still, there's still a deep caring there. I don't ship anything else as hard as I ship Picard Crusher. Mm-hmm. Ever. We noticed. Like, just, ever. Like, I, <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't get this way. Like, I'm not this person who has to ship everything all the time. It's just this pairing that I can't, That's what I can't makes not. it an OTP. I know. Yeah. But one of my favorite scenes between the two of them is actually not one that really ever gets construed in a romantic way at all. And it's actually in the episode Sarek, when after the mind meld and Picard is dealing with all of these emotions that Sarek has suppressed, basically, and the only person that he trusts, because this is, Sarek is still season three, so it's still early uh, in, in the relationship of that whole crew. The only person he trusts to be in that room to comfort him is Beverly. And it's just, it's really sweet, and it's not romantic at all. It's just friendship and trust. and It's just unconditional trust, and it's beautiful. Maybe I'll th- throw in a comment um, from Lise from Facebook. Uh, Lise says, The slow burn unresolved sexual tension between Picard and Dr. Crusher over the course of six seasons was marvelous, but ultimately so unsatisfying because it was never really resolved. While I love the episode attached when they finally talk about their feelings for each other, the ending just makes me weep. The show finale hints that in a possible timeline they were married and then divorced, but that's glossed over by the end and their relationship is never brought up in the TNG movies. Read the books, Louise. Yeah, someone else put in a big comment about the books um, in our Facebook page um, if you want to read about that, but certainly it uh, satisfies a lot of a lot of shipper needs. Not as many as I'd like, but no. yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite things I ever saw happen in person at a Star Trek convention was when uh, Jonathan Frakes was talking about the expanded universe, or someone was asking him about it, and they mentioned that uh, Picard and Crusher are married in one of them, and he went, Really? Crusher married old Baldy? She could do better. And it was just one of the funniest things. I think and you I've know, seen. the two of them, uh, McFadden and Stewart, play this up at convention appearances. And essentially, you know the scene at the end of Galaxy Quest where Sigourney Weaver and Tim Allen kiss and the girl in the audience faints? That is essentially what happens every time they're on stage at a convention together at this point. And I may or may not be that girl at the end of Galaxy Quest. (laughs) (laughs) Someone's gotta be. You're doing it for the fandom, man. They get it. And, like, one of my favorite things there, I have not been able to find a video of this, but it is a, a con report from Tumblr that um, an audience member asked uh, Patrick Stewart, how would you have liked to wrap up the character of Jean-Luc Picard? And his answer was lying naked in the arms of Beverly Crusher. Wrapped up indeed. So, <laughs> there's that. <laughs> so how do you feel about all good things then, as a diehard shipper? Generally good. <laughs> um... You know, I don't love the divorce. I have theories on why it may have happened. I think they have to do with Eremotic Syndrome, which never developed, and that timeline never necessarily happened because also Alyssa Ogawa didn't lose her baby. So this pairing has come so close so many times, and something has undone it, right? There was the the doppelganger in Allegiance, and there was the alternate timeline, and there was the changing of the end of Attached, and it just... It's always just so close. So it's it's frustrating. <laughs> I certainly like um, that part of the episode better than the, like, Troy being dead and Riker and Worf fighting over it. Oh, okay. Well, I do think Captain Beverly Picard is pretty badass. Yeah, I love seeing Crusher as the captain of her own ship. And we talked about, I think, in, like, our first episode or Women Captains, how, like, a mm-hmm. Crusher medical ship spinoff would have been so amazing. It would have been cool. It would have been like private practice in space. And I mean, I it's tough for me because like I appreciate shipping couples and like wanting to um, see a happily ever after. But I also really appreciate that TV is, I think, more and more showing now when like people can have respect and complicated feelings for each other. But it isn't necessarily just like everyone gets married and then they're happy forever. I mean... Part of me would have been like super happy to see that would be how it went, but I also appreciated seeing that it would be possible to have like a cool future where that didn't happen. Well, maybe not that cool, but yeah. Well, in she some was doing ways, cool things. 
I have to admit that in some ways I'm happy that there was not an ongoing relationship, like a Ross and Rachel situation, you oh, know, with God. Picard and Crusher. Um, because I don't that think they would. I don't think the writers would have done it right if they had had a relationship during the series. If if it had happened towards the end of the series and and persisted through the movies, I think there's a chance it could have been done right, but probably a small one. So a very small one, though. Yeah, you know, if it turned out this way, I lasted seven years on fanfic <laughs> or more until the TNG relaunch happened. But, you know, if it if it had to happen this way, I think it's really, in terms of, of story and justice done to the characters, for the most part, I think it's the best way it could have turned out. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yep. You're the expert here, so we'll take it. We'll take it. So does anybody else have anything to add on this topic? We had some comments on Facebook about what people felt about the difference between Kirk and Picard and why Picard doesn't really get that same ladies man reputation as Kirk. So first of all, you should listen to our episode on Kirk's love interests for like mm. our thoughts on that. But um, Elizabeth J just said, um, both Kirk and Picard are products of the time they were written in. Kirk is the 60s version of the man's man, macho, tough, catnip to beautiful women. That's what the writers thought the audience wanted. Picard was more of the late 80s slash early 90s man's man, cerebral, cultured, and cultured, and definitely more feminist friendly. Again, what the writers thought the audience wanted. And Sarah says, Picard doesn't flaunt it. He's a gentleman and he feels like he values a woman's mind way more than it seems like Kirk did. Picard's very character is all about respect, so it only makes sense that carries through to his relationships with women. Also, to be honest, Shatner has creepier, creeper eyes, and that doesn't help anything. <laughs> Uh, fun fact, Creeper Eyes is actually a lesser-known Eric Carmen hit, as opposed to Hungry Eyes. Creeper Eyes. <laughs> One look at you and you'll know I'm here. <laughs> oh, God. Well, happy Valentine's Day, everyone. I'm going to say that that for today, you've put yourself through a lot, Sue, and you're my number one. <laughs> Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us to talk about Jean-Luc's Lady Loves. I'm going to have to go read a whole lot of fan fiction after this one, but this is just one of the many topics being discussed on the Trek FM network recently. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Earl Grey. Jordy is the one that's like, you know what? No, you're wrong. You're wrong about Data. I'm going to drop a challenge right here, and Data's totally going to step up to the plate, and you're going to get served, Plasky. And that's how LaForge created Moriarty. <laughs> <laughs> it would be to, I'm not saying it turned out good, but I mean, he had good intentions. <laughs> the Orb. The Wadi, a fun-loving race from the Gamma Quadrant, arrive at DS9 eager to play a game with Cisco and the crew, one that appears to be a matter of life and death. All right, so are we moving along, Matthew? Oh, we're moving along. <laughs> Is there any redeeming value? The ready room. He's carrying in the lamb chop sock puppet <laughs> saying, she stayed at her post. <laughs> While Charlie Horse ran. <laughs> <laughs> While Charlie Horse ran. <laughs> to the journey! She has a holographic boyfriend that malfunctions. That can mean only one thing. She knows how he malfunctions. Well, I hear it's common in a lot of guys his age. Commentary, Trek stars. I haven't seen Mean Girls. You haven't seen Mean Girls. I oh know. My God. Everybody wants me to see oh Mean Girls. Oh, my God. Yeah, you have to see Mean Girls. I mean, after yeah. Josie and the Pussycats, though. Oh, how could I, I forget Josie and the Pussycats? The 602 Club. I actually like when they bring in the big container for the brain fish at the beginning. That's so weird. <laughs> and yeah, it, it, really it opens mysterious. up and it's, you know, speaking through the... And all the minions that have the, to mop uh, up after it at the end. Yes. Yeah, yeah I thought yeah, that was pretty no. funny. All the, it's like a slug trail. Um, you can actually see one of the guys while he's talking, kind of wandering around, mopping up. I was like, yeah. what is that guy doing? Literary tricks. You're totally right that when Atonement was done, I really did feel like um, everybody needed a break. Like a Not Kit Kat that, bar? There wouldn't be challenges and obstacles and things, but I wanted the the next sort of series of adventures that they faced for a while to be more infused with the sense of wonder that sort of underpins all of Trek. Women at Warp. 
can always count on DC Fontana to Vulcan things up, and I, I for one, appreciate her for that. Get Vulcan with it. Na-na-na-na-na-na-na. Get Vulcan with it. Meta Trex. Don't tell me you haven't wondered what it's like to be Patrick Stewart. Actually, I've wondered, I've, I've often wondered what it's like to be the Shat. <laughs> There's no way to know. It's one of a kind. He's one of a kind. <laughs> He's one of a kind. Melodic tricks. But it's basically from a motivation of not treating the audience stupid. You know, treating them that they have dreams, they have imagination, they have hope, they have fear. They have all those things. And the music plays on that. And introducing Saturday Morning Trek. A show about the animated series and all things Trek in the 1970s. Like six episodes counts as a season. This isn't the British, okay? This isn't. This is two seasons of Sherlock. Come on. This isn't Sherlock. Yes, they've been waiting for several years to see more Star Trek, which is like Sherlock. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. But From There to Here is also a good podcast you should listen to. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. We also wanted to let you know about the Trek FM Patreon. Trek FM is a listener-supported network. You can help us keep the Star Trek discussion coming by pledging a donation at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Every little bit helps keep Women at Warp and the other Trek FM podcasts up and running. So once you're done with the show, again, please consider hopping over to patreon.com slash trekfm. And that does it for us today. Grace, where can everybody find you on the internet? Well, you can look forward to my new album dropping out soon, Songs to Pawn Far Too. <laughs> or you can find me on Twitter at BoneCrusherJank. Or read my previous writing on the Mythcreants blog. Andy. Best place is Twitter at First Time Track, where I am live tweeting my first time reactions to episodes such as Sub Rosa and Jara. You can find me on Twitter at Jara Penguin or over at my blog, trekkiefeminist.tumblr.com. I'm Sue, and you can find me on Twitter at Spaltor, that's S-P-A-L-T-O-R. Picard Voss shippers need not apply. <laughs> Just kidding. And if you want to contact the crew as a whole, you can reach us on Facebook, Twitter, or our website. All of those places, we are Women at Warp, or you can email us at crew at womenatwarp.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>